it's going to be a different way of thinking. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges when you're breaking into an industry and trying to make a shift. It's people don't like change by nature as a whole. So to get them to adopt change, you have to show the value and you have to prove that value on more than one occasion. You are listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, it's real estate and industry 4.0, and most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. Welcome to the Beyond Buildings podcast. This is Rusty Hennessy, and I'll leave it up to you to tell the audience more of who you are and what you do and where you're from. I work for a company, Connexus Incorporated. We're out of Middletown, Pennsylvania. We are a uh, systems integrator, building automation contractor, not limited to system integration, but uh, that's kind of our forte and specialty. Myself, I've been in the industry for about 20 years. I started my career doing uh, commercial industrial HVAC service and then transitioned into controls and uh, just absolutely realized I had a passion for it. And so I just kind of ran with it and uh, haven't looked back. And it's such a rewarding career because I wake up every day just excited about what I do and people I get to see and just all the cool technology. So I'm never bored and it's a great time. So from that respect, it's just been awesome. The overall premise, so the probably I'd say I had about 10 to 12 years working primarily with the Honeywell product line. And then uh, at Conexus, our, our primary line is Distech, but we do some Honeywell, we do some EasyIO, we do a variety of different products, which is really cool. And so my official title is uh, Manager of Technology and Development. And uh, with that, I am responsible for keeping an eye on market trends and watching what's out there, testing products as they are released from manufacturers and seeing, hey, is this going to fit our portfolio? Are we able to leverage this technology? And then also, before we put anything out in the wild, we at least run it through our internal beta testing so that when our techs get it in the field, they can just hit the ground running or we might have some support already in place if they have questions or challenges, things like that. Awesome. Sounds so much fun. And I love that the way you put it, that you love your job. I mean, I always love to talk to people who love their job, right? So when you say that you have this portfolio, is that by you're managing or you're like overseeing your customers' portfolios at all times? So I guess remote, is that important for you? Is that something that you've been working with for a long time? Or was that also news to you when now after or like during COVID? No. So when I started at Conexus, one of my goals was to stand up what we call the hosted server. So we have a Conexus facility management solution package, and it incorporates a hosted server solution for building automation systems. So that is with the intention of being more secure, more frequent updates technical expertise at the ready. So the way it works is we have a hosted solution that we provide for our customers. So it's basically your server application on steroids with all kinds of add-ons to it. And then we connect to their buildings from the cloud. 
securely. And then we take all that data and present it in a way that's meaningful for our customers and also allow us to do additional services to provide value for them at a better price point. Awesome. Is it more like reactive or is it also proactive? Is it bi-directional as in, okay, now we're seeing that uh, there is an alarm or is it more like there will be an alarm? We averted that and now we notify the customer how great of a team we are and how good of a service we provide, right? Yeah, so it's actually a bit of both. So we both have uh, post alarms. Sometimes you can't predict something's going to fail. So you definitely have the post part of it, but then we also have predictive measures in place. So let's say we're continually seeing a fan is climbing in amps over a period of 12 months and the run load amps were kind of creeping up, then we can track that and know, hey, this fan's going to fail or just all kinds of different things, freezers and coolers. And as a matter of fact, we have some schools that we work with that we monitor their freezers. And we have four tiers of escalation also. So not only do we have our regular on-call technicians, but we tier our alarms in a way that they're leveled. So we'll just say for sake of discussion, low, medium, high. Well, that high level alarm will go out not only to our tech, but it'll also go out to a dispatching service so that we make sure that those critical alarms are received and addressed by a human being and it's taken care of. Going back to sort of where we are in the times, right, with COVID and uh, pandemics and everyone wants to do more remote and getting back to the offices or the schools or whatever, right? Do you see, has there been a change before and after COVID or before or during COVID for you as a company? Have you been ready to sort of like cater to, well, if there is a change? Yes, we've noticed the change, but fortunately for us, we'll call us a small to medium-sized integrator. So we have about 25, 30 employees. We're nibble enough to adjust with the market changes and trends. And so prior to COVID, we already had goals and generally tried to keep that remote connectivity available because it allows us to be more responsive. Instead of rolling a truck for every time there's an issue, we can pull up a building and look at it. But with that, one of the things that we always focus on is trying to make sure that we're doing that securely or at least advising customers the more secure way to get that remote connectivity. But with COVID, it's interesting because customers or institutions that maybe in the past were very reluctant for that remote connectivity, that kind of interface, it's becoming more acceptable and more, I don't want to use the phrase the new norm, but it is the new norm in our industry where everybody wants to have that connectivity. You said something about security as well. That is something sort of I'm passionate about, as in buildings inherently, especially backnet and everything. It has been pretty open, not necessarily open interoperability-wise. We can get to that later in vendor lock-in, but more as in open access into data. And if it hasn't been sort of configured correctly, someone can actually go in and change things, right? Is that also a service that you provide in as in assessing security gaps and and tightening those gaps. And also the other sort of question is, are customers, are they demanding, are they seeing that the security is actually an issue? How you see about security today and and tomorrow, the future with smart buildings? What a hot topic to discuss. And and just as you, I get super excited about cybersecurity and I kind of, I don't want to say geek out on it a little bit, but I get a little deep with it. But it's interesting because in the industry, you have extremes, right? So you have the customers that are like, I don't care, just go ahead and connect up to my building. And even if it's open, I don't really care because maybe they don't see the risk. And so 
our job and our responsibility is to educate that customer on, hey, yeah, maybe you're only connecting to a building automation system, but here are your risks. Here are the things that can happen. How do you make that argument to the customer as in why it's important for them and how do you show it in the best way possible? It is sort of case by case basis. And I guess it would depend on the severity of what the customer is requesting us to do. And obviously, as a contractor, it's our right to say no, as well as it is the customer's right to say no. And generally, we don't really have anybody who's obstinate in the respects of, I want my building to be unsecure, right? But going into a situation where they're like, oh, well, we'll just open up ports, which is less and less common these days because people are becoming educated, specifically even after COVID with remote connectivity and things like that. But typically, it's a pretty easy conversation because people do want to be educated and they do want to understand security more. A fairly recent example, we had a customer who's like, hey, I want to have remote connectivity and I want to be able to get to it from my phone and my laptop and all these different devices. Just go ahead and open up the ports. And I said, well, hey, can we talk about that a little more? There are some really low cost, really easy solutions that we can implement that will give you the security and the peace of mind. You're protecting your organization, but also giving you the connectivity and the access that you require. And usually at the end of it, we all walk away happy. We feel good that we've given them a secure solution. They're happy that they have access. But how often is cost a factor? Because I hear that same with any kind of tech investment as well, right? No, it costs too much. How long is a rope kind of conversation, right? What is the cost of bankruptcy or what is the cost of XYZ scenarios that could happen or has happened to others? Is cost an issue as well? Is that sort of like, yeah, we don't want to go with the full security package, but we'll go with the low to medium one because we can see that the cost is a bit more reasonable. Yeah, so cost is more common than not a factor. So that's where it's important for people who are giving access to buildings to maybe evaluate their solutions and I don't know if I should name drop or not, but Tossie Box offers a really good They offer a really good, fairly low-cost security solution that gives you access and provides very good security for the entry-level cybersecurity piece of that for the remote connectivity. There's tons of solutions out there. And I think the biggest challenge is just education in some cases, but the cost is a factor, especially on construction projects too. You know, the construction industry, the plan spec, stuff like that. There's a lot of factors that play into that where a couple hundred dollars can win or lose you a bid in some cases. And so those are the factors that you have to weigh. Well, am I willing to hang my hat on that? Absolutely. It's, of course, also a difference in between if it is like an office building, is it a school, is it a warehouse, is it a critical building like a hospital or something in defense, etc. right? What kind of facilities or industries are you in? And is it mostly new construction or is it mostly retrofitting or is it a little bit of both? Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. We do a fair amount of uh, K through 12 schools. We do DOD, military. We have a variety of customers. We do some commercial spaces, commercial industrial buildings, utilities. It really does vary across the spectrum. But a bulk of our work is, I will say with the remote connectivity, the, the DOD and military stuff, there's no remote connectivity there. But it's interesting because you still have the internal security piece. So you have the building security and connectivity. I think a couple of weeks ago, we talked about definitely the cybersecurity aspects, but also the physical security aspects. Are you covering both? And is that also something that you see is happening more and more? 
because I think like the tradition has been not that much security talk whatsoever. Now there's more remote connectivity, VPNs, all these kind of things. What do you see? So physical security is less prominent right now, but I do see an uptick in requests for it. Even simple things like locking cabinets to making sure that your building automation systems are installed in a data closet or a locked room or a conditioned locked room, things like that. So the physical aspect of it is becoming very well documented and very well requested. But it's slow adoption because it's just um, people don't see probably the immediate surge in that request, whereas you are seeing a very huge uptick in your cybersecurity piece of it. And so you have anything from VPNs to OEM software on it that does checks and two-factor authentication is huge now. So all those kind of things. Definitely agreeing with what I've been seeing as well, right? We talked a little bit about in the beginning in terms of you have like this tech now that you're repping and I'm interested more about vendor lock-in or vendor like the interoperability aspects as well as what you see about the separation of software and hardware and then also changing control strategies without sort of like having to use the programs by, let's say, Distech, Johnson Control, Siemens, et cetera. How far along are you with that? And do you do it or not? There are definitely pros and cons with everything, right? So just a little bit sort of like on the open source. I think that's interesting to understand how you're working with that aspect. Yeah, so one of uh, Conexus's key initiatives is being open. So when we talk about open source, this is something that is super passionate almost with everyone in our company. So when we leave a job, we have the philosophy at Conexus is we want you to work with us because you want to work with us, not because you have to work with us. And so when we talk about open protocol, open communication, every project we leave, we will leave whatever is necessary for the customer to have complete ownership of that project. So if they aren't happy with Conexus, they can hire another contractor to come in and pick up maybe where we left off. And so that was a big part of why we partnered with this tech as well, because we can leave the programming tools behind. We can leave the customer with the keys to the castle, so to speak, so that they are not vendor locked in. They're not manufacturer locked in. And we leverage Tritium, Niagara platform um, as well. And so that's ultimately important to every single individual in our organization. That's kind of one of our key philosophies is open protocols open proprietary non-proprietary yeah absolutely let's say that companies maybe they're happy with you but still they decide to go with someone else right how do you make sure that they understand not only just like access the code or like the programs that are in there but actually understand it how far have you come like in maybe supporting haystack tagging or uh, brick schema these kind of things or the problems if you're looking at it from the software perspective it doesn't really matter if there are open apis any kind of api might look like differently but it's also the fact that software programmers in the software space don't understand someone else's code or they don't really want to work with someone else's code as well, right? Well, how often is it that if you leave a project or even if you gain a project from someone else, that you can just go in, understand sort of like everything without having to call them or without ripping anything out? What is the status right now and what are you seeing into the future? Is it getting better, so to say? Yeah, I would think so. So as far as haystack tagging, we're very familiar with haystack tagging. We leverage the technology not only in analytics, but we are familiar with some graphic software that use tags. So that definitely helps in defining the data and helping systems to understand what that data is. 
And so when we take over a building that maybe another contractor had or something like that, in our area specifically, in our territory and region, we generally see somewhat of a standard because the building automation space is small. It covers a large, vast industry, but the community as itself is a very small, tight-knit group. So there's a lot of things that kind of pass through the industry that are just inherent, but there are a lot of things that are not. And so in most cases, you can generally, fortunately for Conexus, we have a lot of diversity as a group. So I might have specialized something where someone else specialized in, in another thing. So we lean on those resources internally a lot to kind of get there. So we're not just kind of tunnel vision, so to speak. So in that respect, we kind of help each other out and it makes it easier for us as Conexus. But if you had just one manufacturer, one vendor, one way of doing things, it could be difficult because there is no standard when it comes to writing a program per se, best practices, but there's nothing that says that you generally have to do it this way, right? So we've come across some interesting stuff, but to that point, there's no real standard. So it can be a real challenge, especially some of your older legacy systems can be quite tricky because it's harder to find information on them. What would be the best sort of strategy? Because in other areas, speed is of the essence, right? And to get a building as fast as possible up to digital maturity, is that something that companies more and more are looking at? Or is it yeah, it can take its time. It doesn't really matter. Or what is the sense of urgency? It has it changed a bit now during the last six months as well? Yeah, I think it has changed. In the last six months, you've seen people wanting to get their buildings up to that digital maturity, as you talked about, a lot quicker. As Conexus, our philosophy is not just to go in and rip and replace. As a system integrator, our job is to try to integrate and protect what investment the customer has already made into technologies. But obviously, there does come a point where things hit their end of life. And so that's, like you said, it is a case-by-case basis. So it goes back a little bit to where they want to be, right? What kind of facilities they have, what kind of users they have. And again, like, what is the strategy? What is the overall strategy and how the technical decision-making of what technology that should be in place in the building is aligned with what the strategy is? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of then... Sort of like the cutting edge technology. Let's say you have a building or you have an owner or whatever, and maybe it's a critical facility. And of course, like any other building, I mean, it's going to be there for the next, what, 30, 40, 50 plus years, right? So and if you're looking at the computer industry, I buy a computer and then I install some kind of software. If I don't like it, I uninstall it, right? That's it. That goes back to this separation of software and hardware. And so like the tight coupling with applications as well that you have to buy well, the computer with all the programs installed, that is the tricky part. I mean, are we there yet? Will the building automation industry come to a point where there's more generic hardware, all like the Siemens, the Distics, everyone, they have like separate hardware that they're selling, but it's never tied to any kind of software application. It's just like download here, install it, uninstall it that way. Are we there right now or will the industry be there at some point? That's a really awesome question. I love that. And I've never thought about it in quite that context. But no, we're not there, in my opinion. Will we ever be there? Maybe. Maybe not in my lifetime, so to speak. It's not that we can't be there. There's a couple things. So first and foremost, the big players in our industry, they do kind of protect their hardware and software coupling. So hardware in itself has become 
a commodity or is becoming a lot more commoditized. You're not buying generally based on the hardware. You're buying on what feature sets the software can provide to make that hardware do really cool stuff. That's where, in some respects, we are a little bit decoupled in the respects of you're buying based on what the software can do and less about what hardware is going in the building. So in that respect, you're making your choice based on your feature set and less about the hardware. So from that perspective, yeah, it is sort of decoupled a little bit. It's just like whether you want to run Linux or Windows or some other Chrome OS or whatever, you're buying based on that software, maybe not necessarily that piece of hardware. In that respect, there is a little bit of decoupling there. But the age-old argument is, well, let's just say you have XYZ manufacturer who manufactures a piece of heating and air conditioning equipment for a building, and maybe they have their own controls that they install. And they're going to say, well, we know how to best run our equipment, and we know how to program the tools to run that equipment the best, and we're going to build the features that we want you to have. That's where I think that there may be some companies that will push towards that true decoupled the software completely separate from the hardware. The challenge with that is, and I've kind of seen it happen, is even if you do have somebody who's truly innovative like that, and they really do break through and provide something amazing, unfortunately, what happens in some cases, they get caught up and disappears into the abyss. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But it's also, I think, like the customer aspect, that is the easy part. Either it's the vendor or like the integrator or someone that you know that is responsible. Otherwise, maybe it could be also be a blame game. Like, no, 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 this was the software application. No, 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 it was the hardware. No, 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 it was XYZ. So I think that that may be as well, right? So it's not easy, but I definitely think that from a disruption standpoint and what we see in other industries, it's bound to happen at some point, definitely, hopefully in our lifetime. That's what I'm hoping at least. Because I think it's more like the big ones are trying to protect the revenue stream more than anything, because that is tightly coupled to hardware sales, et cetera, et cetera, and definitely lock-in, right? If someone of the big ones should take that decision in making, okay, now we're going to outsource all of our hardware to basically anything. You can buy any Raspberry Pi or Linux, whatever, whatever, as long as it adheres to whatever certifications, right? And then you can just download all our program suites or applications from this website, and that's how we're going to do it. So like breaking the channel systems, breaking sort of like a part, especially maybe in the US as well, how sort of like that interaction is being made. Of the ones that are out there, the Honeywells, the Distech, Johnson, Siemens, etc., or is it going to be anyone else like uh, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft? So up until a couple of years ago, or probably more recently, I would have said EasyIO because they were really pushing towards some awesome openness. I think that there's a race at the top for that. And when I say at the top, I'm talking just as you had alluded to, your Googles, your Amazon. Yeah, they're not in the commercial industrial building space as we traditionally think about it, but they are in the home space. Whilst we're at it, AI. What are your thoughts about that? Company-wise, have you started looking at it, not only on behalf for yourself, but maybe for your customers? You as a company, when do you feel that you need to start with this? Do you have like an R&D innovation, 15% or whatever it is that you're making? That's where you sort of invest in these things. I mean, you said something about your test bench earlier. What are your thoughts on that? That's a lot of what my role is. And I do want to step back for just a second and say of the big players. So when you go below your Amazon, your Googles, I will say a very open 
tool set and hardware set is the Distech product line. And like I mentioned before, so I said EasyIO, they were decoupling a lot of that. And Distech has their tool sets that run on their hardware, but it is a good open platform. And I could see where they can drive some openness in that respect. And with the digital twin and the AI, so my role at Connexus is to do a lot of the R&D. And absolutely, do we look at future cutting edge technologies and stuff like that? Yes, absolutely. We have some of our partners, such as Distech and some other companies that are out there that are capable of deploying AI on their hardware. And there are some solutions out there already in the wild that do artificial intelligence. Um, but I think one of the things that we have to be careful of is what do you truly define as artificial intelligence? Because some companies will advertise that they're doing artificial intelligence, but they're just doing advanced analytics. So to me, artificial intelligence is systems that are truly making decisions and acting upon those decisions on behest of the end result. And so I like what you said about talking about digital twins. Like to me, I think the artificial intelligence and the digital twin absolutely go hand in hand because you can have a sub algorithm running some tests, running some scenarios, and then taking the results of those scenarios and going, oh, well, hey, we can save X percent by doing this. And now it deploys it into the full running system. And now you have a scenario where that's where artificial intelligence take our industry by storm. It's going to change everything. And I think something that kind of gets missed a lot is the understanding component of it. So making it so that the end user, whoever is receiving that data, whatever that looks like, understands that data and it's presented to them in a meaningful way. And I think that's key. Exactly. Because if an HR person will look at the digital twin, they would see whatever they would like to look like. That's the point. And if a technical asset manager or a system integrator or a CEO, they will be able to bring out the metrics that are important for them, but they also in relation to the context that everyone is working with. I think that's the main sort of like difference with digital twins and visual digital twins or real-time connected digital twins than, again, like the BI dashboards that are used to depict a very specific slice of the world for the experts looking at it, but it doesn't really translate well, right? Maybe we want to talk a little bit more about edge cloud or data strategies. Like I said, we provide a hosted solution. And in our region, we are hearing a lot of uh, commotion about data lakes for large institutions and things like that. And so I guess the first thing would be, from your perspective and your angle, why would an institution want to have a data lake? What are the big benefits of that? And so is that the future of big data? And then also, how do you ensure data quality with a data lake? And then what, and maybe one step further is what cybersecurity concerns do you have when you're implementing a data lake? And how do you tackle that? And what's the approach? The one thing that you should do or the customer should do, they should define the problem as in what are they doing right now? What is their business as in what is it that they're doing, right? What is it that they're trying to achieve? What are their customers? What do they look like? Where are they? Are they in the building? Are they spread out everywhere? And just to frame it as sort of like, what is their business? If they can do that and say, okay, this is where we have the data today. This is where our people are, et cetera, et cetera. Then they can just write that up in a two-pager and hand that off to 10 or 20 different companies and they can vet it, right? They can see how others are going to solve their problem based on whatever they want to achieve. That is how it should be. 
instead of talking to one expert or two experts to give them a solution or to listen even to like one vendor or to Microsoft or whatever solution that they're tied into. I know the problem that has been with big data in general, as companies have collected a lot of data over years and years and years, put that into a data lake that has turned into a data swamp. Because let's say the context of the data where it was before it jumped into the data lake, it's non-existent. So everything just becomes a puddle. That's again, like where data scientists are spending a lot of time in understanding, okay, how does this data correlate to each other? And like the supply chain of data, so to say, where does it come from? What was it before? Where is it going? I would say the new data lake is uh, streaming platforms. So it's basically the stuff that LinkedIn are using, Netflix, uh, financial institutions in handling massive amounts of data. You need to have access to data that you can actually create actionable results from. If you look at Jeff Bezos, what he was saying back in 2002, so they were already talking about this stuff 18 years ago, right? And he gave a mandate, said that from department to department, you're not allowed to talk to each other, as in like talk, talk, physically talk or whatever, you need to talk through service APIs, okay? So the departments have to take in data via APIs, whether it's coming out from the market or from external sources or internal sources, they have to talk through APIs because he foresaw like the whole software economy and they were like having much, much more demand from the market that they could supply because they had a traditional database structure and traditional databases, they're very, very good at doing something that you know about. But if there's something in in the future that you don't know about, and that's exactly what the future is about, right? Not knowing exactly what's going to happen. So not knowing exactly what's going to happen, you have to have that agility in changing your operating model as a company as well, right? And they didn't have that. So they have to design a organizational data structure to cater to the unknowns of the future. And that's what they did 18 years ago. And all these internal APIs at they had also to be ready to be externalized, to be able to feed in data and to export data to other sources because you also foresaw like the ecosystem economy. So the reason why that was important for them was, of course, of scale in being able to handle both supply and demand, both when it's good times and bad times, and to be able to scale indefinitely. So software, I think that has become more of a necessity than an enabler. If traditional companies or any modern company, if they don't have... AI maybe definitely in the near future or software in their core DNA and having that ability to scale up and down, it's a matter of life and death, to be honest. It's a long answer, but I think it's less about, again, me talking from like what I'm seeing as in just defining more like a go-to approach and for them to not step out of their comfort zone, step into the comfort zone, define their problems or their challenges or what they do good. Is that how companies are doing? Because I definitely see that a lot of companies are either forcing others to step out of their comfort zone or themselves, they are stepping out of their comfort zone instead of just, okay, we're not really good at this. So let's help you get to someone who's really good at it and then just add value in a more ecosystem, JV kind of way, right? What are you seeing there as well in terms of the ecosystem play? Boy, that's a tough question. Let me preface it by saying we're not seeing a lot of big push from that aspect. However, I do agree with you as far as the the comfort zone. And I think it's important as a contractor to be probably more forthcoming with the customer and let them know where you're at and let them ask the right questions. And then it's important to be honest to determine if it's a fit, not only for 
a contractor, but also as the customer. So you're right there in the comfort zone. And it's kind of one of those things where just because you may not have the answer doesn't mean you can't get the answer. And so I think that applies to a lot of these broader, more difficult questions and discussions, specifically when we were talking about the data lake, things like that. Like it's not blockchain and things like that. You might not be. And unfortunately, we're in a spectrum right now where there are so many technologies that are happening and you can't be an expert in any one of them. So I think it's important that we all step back and say, hey, maybe I'm not the expert, but maybe I can help them get to an expert or we can provide services. And so that's where, with what you were saying about having your different comfort zones, whether you go to them or they come to you, I think it's just important to kind of work through that as a team. And most importantly, I think the most profound thing you said today is just asking the customer what their pain points are. What do they deal with on a day-to-day basis? When asking that question to multiple facets of the business, because ultimately at the end, we're here to serve our customers. So that's the ultimate win. It's not about having the coolest graphics or maybe the fanciest UI or whatever. It's ultimately about helping our customers and making their lives better. Exactly. How we can support the business, right? And I think that's easy to miss the point of why you're there, why are you doing this kind of things and the, like the trust aspect. I really respect what you're saying as well, like this responsible integration efforts, right? And just like, if you don't know this and someone else does, and if the customer, maybe they need five or six different people to know this, I think that's also where we're seeing more of a push towards ecosystem strategies where you actually JV up and you partner up before so you can approach the customer. So it's not like they versus us, et cetera, et cetera, which I think it has been in the past. So I think like it's hopefully open, doesn't necessarily just mean open with the software or the hardware components, but actually more open with this is where we stop and start. This is how we work with others and we do play well with others. And we also have partners that start where we stop and these kind of things. Do you agree that it's moving towards that direction? Absolutely. And maybe to kind of put it in my wheelhouse and what we see is we do a fair amount of master system integration work. Or for some different institutions and colleges and things like that. And so we have our system integrator aspect of our business. But when we go into an MSI relationship, we don't have any system integrator responsibilities or the intention typically is not to, so that we can be completely customer focused, working with the customer to help educate them and make sure that they're getting the value they're requesting from their integrators. And so it creates a great relationship, not only between us and the customer, but also us with the other contractors and the other contractors with the customer, because now the customer's comfortable that that contractor or that system integrator is delivering what they're saying to the customer. And then they have another third party indifferent who doesn't really have a quote unquote vested interest in trying to be in either piece of that to kind of advocate for them and say, well, hold on, can we do this this way or whatever the scenario may be? So yeah, absolutely. I see that as a very big playing piece. And even go as far as saying, we're seeing system integrators with ourselves even included. We're partnering with other system integrators to provide solutions to customers. Larger facilities that, hey, it's kind of the strangest thing. I never thought it would happen, but system integrators that work together to ultimately provide a greater good for our customers. And that's what it's all about. And I think that's how you're going to see this industry change, grow, and shift. We talk about building automation mainly, I suppose, and maybe not smart buildings, but there's also lighting. There are also occupancy, there are indoor air quality, 
it's uh, audio, visual, it's everything in access controls and these kind of things as well, right? What is it where you stop and start? And also, do you see that there are these full service firms, maybe you are one of them, right? That think about the whole building as an entity and not only HVAC, uh, refrigeration, building automation systems, DDC, energy efficiency, but actually like the full smart building and intelligence. Are there companies like that? Or do you see that as a challenge as in expecting uh, intelligent buildings when you just have like silo-specific smart solutions that doesn't work in scale? To answer your question, yes, we think about it as a whole. And every application that we kind of come across, we look at it as a whole and then find out what the needs are to kind of fill those holes. And it's interesting because as being a Distech SI, we can provide the security piece, we can provide the lighting piece, we can provide the HVAC piece, we can provide all of these components. And so the challenge becomes, though, the way that our markets specifically, more so specifically, less about retrofitting, but more about new buildings coming out of the ground, is the way that the bidding process it goes. It's very challenging to get your building automation contractor to be able to also do lighting controls because the lighting contractor or the electrical contractor who's installing the lights, they want to have their controls in because it's more their piece of the pie, right? So it's ultimately the customer has to be demanding if they truly want a unified building solution because by trades, they are designed, like you said, siloed so your HVAC siloed from your lighting electrical siloed from your plumbing and things like that. So ultimately, it becomes the customer's responsibility to demand that it is that way. And then also sort of facilitate that, okay, contractor A needs the line to be drawn here. And this is where one and the other take over. How are you working with that today as in coming in as early as possible or educating the customer of why that is important. And also, do you see, so like maybe Digital Twins as a medium again to create a forum or arena or let's say a collaboration platform between these different trades that it will allow them to work with their specific silo, but it's part of like a larger context with data that will stay with the building over time? Do you see that it is happening? Are the customers or the owners, are they asking for, let's say, unified buildings, which you said, right? What is the state of this right now? Yeah, so we are seeing that we are getting requests for that. And it's kind of been a learning process, how to work and how to navigate through the different trades and to facilitate those conversations. And I think that's really, ultimately, you kind of hit the nail on the head where it's important to have that information and get that discussion going early on in a project. Retrofits are a whole different animal, and that's usually direct to the end user. So it's a little bit easier to facilitate and find out the needs. But when we're talking a new building or a new construction project coming out of the ground, it's a little more of that pre-planning, that getting those early customer meetings, getting those conversations started, and not only just with the customer, but with all of the other trades and saying, hey, This is how we're trying to advocate to best work with the customer. And so when you're in an MSI role, it's a little bit easier to kind of take that charge and then help disperse that information and kind of frame that context so everybody's on the same page. But when you just have independent contractors, it's good to get in and have the discussion with the customer and kind of educate them and say, hey, what exactly are you trying to gain from your building? What are your end goals? 
in your mind, when you lean back in your chair and you're visualizing your new building, what does that look like to you? Do you, are you walking in and all the lights are turning on? You hit the elevator, the elevator takes you to your floor and you get to your office and the temperature's met and you're good to go. You know, up front, it's a discussion. And then the coordination of those trades is ultimately super important throughout the project to make sure that, that everybody's comfortable with where they're at. And the reason I say that is because eliminating the finger pointing and making sure that everybody's responsible for their piece of that puzzle is paramount to get having a successful project. Everything that you're saying definitely makes sense. And I think it's echoed by the construction companies that I'm working with as well in the sense of what they want to do. But they're also so like in the hands of the owners, as in nothing happens unless the owners want it to happen, right? It's also like they're not coming in early enough as in getting exports of BIM files that are just pure concepts of what the building should be. So it's again like going back to what I believe a broken industry as in if you saw it from the very, very beginning and then have data follow it through this life cycle, digital twin. And at any point in time, if the owner would say like, yeah, leaning back in the chair, all these kind of things. But then when he stops leaning back, tilts his head, he should go to the keyboard and just say all the data that he wants at any given point in time should be accessible. It's his or hers. And if you want to select a vendor to do a retrofit, or if you want to do anything with your building at any given point in time, you do an export of or a snapshot of what the building looks like today. Then you take in 10 vendors that do the retrofit based on the API that you provide them. And that's how easy it should be. And I think that's, again, why if a new actor looks at this life cycle, understands, okay, here is actually where it starts. And if we start doing something over here, that is much, much better than what's being done today. Everything else is just going to fall like dominoes. And it's going to be so much easier for everyone at any given point in time. And it's also going to lead to less cost, more value, a faster time to value creation, as in getting the buildings in the ground, less changes on site, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, again, if you build smart from start, sort of like the intelligent building will have less of a need for patchwork every year, every second year, and all these kind of things as well, right? Who's going to take that position? Can someone do it? Or is it going to be silo patchwork forever or just during our lifetime maybe yeah i definitely think that there are hurdles for sure that will need to be overcome and i don't know that a single entity will be the one to overcome those challenges i think it's going to be a collective effort because you do have all of those different pieces in play Who's going to do it? I'm not really sure. Do I think it can happen? Absolutely. I think it's just going to be a different way of thinking. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges when you're breaking into an industry and trying to make a shift. It's people don't like change by nature as a whole. To get them to adopt change, you have to show the value and you have to prove that value on more than one occasion. And I think that's ultimately where this could come to a head is with the way things are going. And yeah, we do have our big players in our industry are working towards that. I like what you said about there are definitely the players that are doing it. And there's definitely, of course, technology that does it, right? So let's say if you're looking at the whole real estate value chain or like the life cycle perspective of building, let's say if you have all of these people or companies lined up, but let's say one of them just says, okay, I want to do it this way. And then someone else like in the different part of the value chain, yeah, okay, I prescribe to this one. And then maybe if they could adhere to so like a common life cycle data strategy, and this is how we're going to communicate with each other. Going back to Jeff Bezos, okay, we're just going to communicate with the, via APIs. 
we're already there today in our specific silo, but whatever we go like this, no one else is ready. But if they say, look around and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to communicate. And then just find someone else. Okay, yeah, we're prescribing to that one. Then maybe we could have this tomorrow. Yes. I just feel like it's changing that way of thinking. It's getting outside of the box of this is how we've always done it and shifting into this is what's best for the customer. Best for customer, best for the world, best for the industry, and just taking the next steps, right? Any final words? Where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? Yeah, so our website is connexuscommunity.com. There's a contact us link there. And you can find me at rhennessy at connexus.biz. And then, of course, your LinkedIn, right, as well? Yep, yep. My LinkedIn profile is up there. Thanks so much, Rusty, for coming on the show. And uh, definitely looking forward to the next podcast. We'll just find another topic out of interest, but I don't think that's going to be hard. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it too. And it's been great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast. And also a big thank you to our sponsor, Platform of Trust. For those of you who want to collect, harmonize and trust data from anywhere in the world and make sense of it in a much, much faster way than ever before. Thank you.